Today's pandemic story comes from Megs, who talks to Dave while quarantining in Australia with her family of four, having just moved from Canada back to her country of origin. Megs peels back the many layers of the pandemic onion on the challenges and tribulations of her expensive and complicated move to Australia. Hi, and welcome to the Pandemic Show. It's Dave, and today we're traveling across the world to Australia to talk to Megs Lowe. Megs and her family just moved from Southern Ontario, Canada to Australia. Her husband and her two kids are currently in quarantine in Sydney. How are you today, Megs? I'm good now that I'm talking to you, Dave. It is so nice to connect to people because we are on day 10 of quarantine. So we are, we're not locked actually. The, the door is open and you're unable to lock the door, but there is a security guard in the hallway. There's military personnel and police personnel guarding and making sure that we stay in this hotel room for 14 days. So you're the first human face I've seen apart from my own family in 10 days. So it's, it feels good to connect. Oh, wow. So you only have four more days and then what happens? And then we're, well, we, we had a COVID test on day two. And then we had another COVID test today, or uh, day 10. And if that's clear, we will be released to the world on Friday night. And we're actually quite nervous because they're just going to let us walk out of here. And then we have to get in a cab, which we're, we've been so used to having a high level of quarantine pandemic readiness with masks and gloves because we just flew through the United States. It's going to be very strange to go back out into the world and cope with potentially, uh, you know, contracting COVID again and, and taking precautions. That's interesting. You mentioned the cab. I have not taken a cab or any type of public transit since the pandemic has started. Although I have at time been forced to uh, carpool or needed a ride to pick up to pick up my car from the shop and I wore a mask as the driver also wore a mask and we tried not to talk too much yeah yeah keep the windows down a little yeah so we're now the end of August the pandemic has been traveling the globe since late 2019 could you take us back to March 2020 when the pandemic really started to impact collective action in Southern Ontario. Yeah, I'll actually rewind a little further. Back in December, around Christmas before March, nine months ago, we, we took a trip to Australia, to my homeland as a family. And we, we so enjoyed that trip connecting with my family and my homeland that, you know, my husband and I started to have this discussion of where we want, what we wanted out of life and where we wanted to end up. And we thought long and hard and, and what it came down to for us is that we wanted to be around family. We wanted to be around our kids, our grandkids. And I wanted to be around my mom as she ages. And um, we haven't spent a lot of time with her. We've lived in Canada for the last 15 years. So we made, even though, you know, it's funny, I, I remember reading news articles about this virus, this flu in, in China over Christmas, that Christmas period, and being slightly concerned. But anyway, we, we really thought long and hard and we thought, we think we want to move. And our, our oldest son is in grade seven and we really wanted to move him before he hit high school in Ontario, which is grade nine. So we thought if we're going to do this, we need to do it now. 
And um, we, we felt that urgency of moving children before they became too old and too uh, socially connected and, and too entrenched into their education. Um, but we thought we love Ontario, we love Canada. So we thought we'll wait until March break where we're going away with a whole bunch of friends. And after that holiday, because it's pretty tough to make life decisions when you're in the bubble of a beautiful holiday, um, we'll, we'll make the final decision in March. And sure enough, March came around and we had the shutdown of our school one week, I think, before March break. And our holiday was cancelled. And we decided anyway, let's move, regardless of this pandemic and this flu, which we really didn't know a lot about at that time. Let's put the house on the market, see if we get a, a good money and, and continue with our plans until we find out more about the pandemic. And... Um, from that point, I taught my, my students, my grade three, four class by distance education until the end of June, the end of our school year. And my kids, I was trying to teach them and, and help them do their learning as well. And we were at home for an awful long time there, um, socially distanced without kind of connecting to, to others. It, it was a really tough time. It was really hard to keep students in my class learning and to keep my own kids learning. Um, we weren't prepared to teach via distance education. We weren't prepared to go completely online. And um, it was really unfolding week by week. There was a lot of uncertainty, but we thought let's try the house on the market and see what happens. And the Ontario housing market was really slow to start. And I remember when we had our first showings, um, people would, there'd only ever be one person that would come to the showing, a husband or a wife. They would have a mask on, they would have gloves on. Um, they would be very careful. And the rule was if they touched any surface in the home, they tried not to touch any surface in the home, but if they opened any closet or cupboard, they were to leave it open. So then we could come later and, and know what they'd touched and we would Lysol and clean accordingly. Um, by the end of that process, um, it was really slow market. It took a lot longer. Normally things in Ontario heat up because people want to move for the summer so they can get their kids in school for September and move during good weather. But it took a lot longer to sell our house than what we initially anticipated. And, uh, but we eventually got a good price and thought, let's do it. Let's move. And, um, we booked tickets to leave in August, and we were really nervous um, about going through the United States because that was quite a hot, that still is quite a hot spot, and um, with really high numbers of COVID cases. So we booked a flight through Hong Kong uh, with Cafe Pacific, and um, two days before we were to get onto this flight to Australia. We had the movers nearly finished packing our house. We were living out of suitcases. Um, our flight was cancelled. And our flight was cancelled because the Australian government had begun to limit how many Australians were allowed in the country each day. And they'd limited it to 400 people per day. And they, um, from, I think, April, May... They've had everyone that enters the country has to do a mandatory 14-day quarantine um, to make sure that, they, that anyone entering the country doesn't spread COVID. They've been really strict about it. So anyway, two days before we fly out, everything's packed and gone. We're living out of suitcases and our flight gets cancelled. And 
knowing what we know now, we know that this happens a lot with economy class tickets because planes are only allowed to have about 40 passengers per plane so that there can be a number of planes from various parts of the world come in and, and make this 400 person cap. So we tried to rebook and the earliest we could get was October 21st, which was six weeks later. And oh boy. they said to us, there's no guarantee that this flight won't get canceled as well. And so we rang all the airlines. We, we uh, decided we have to try going through the States. We have to do anything. And um, people were talking about late fall into the new year for economy class tickets, because what airlines are doing to try to cover their costs is only selling business and first class tickets. So fortunately, we had enough money saved that we actually had to pay business and first class tickets and we had to leave the next day because if we left a day later or any time after that, it was an extra $3,000 a ticket. When so you we, went, sorry, sorry to interrupt. This is just fascinating. When you went through the States, did you stay on the plane and just gas up or did you no, to get off the plane even, and get on another? No, we couldn't even get direct flights. So we flew to Chicago, a pretty quick City. Train. Yeah. Flew to San Francisco and had to wait 10 hours. So if you're COVID nervous, especially with two kids, 10 and 12, hygiene, you know, we're learning, we're trying, but we're not perfect. Uh, to go through those airports, uh, it was a vastly different experience to Canada. In Canada, everyone's distancing. We, we, we come from mandatory masks. We were temperature checked. We went through the COVID checklist of symptoms when we checked in and went through security. It was excellent. I felt quite safe in Canada. But when we went through the airports in, in the States, there wasn't social distancing. People were wearing masks, but often just over their mouth and their nose was, was showing. Certainly surfaces weren't being cleaned like they were in Canada. There was no questions about our COVID symptoms, no temperature checks. There were busy airports. And so we, we've been really nervous that we actually contracted COVID. That there's a um, higher risk going through some of those hot spots in Chicago oh, and yeah. San Francisco. And you noticed a difference from the Canadian airport to the American airport. And w was there lots of people or was there a, a, a lot less people than you'd normally see? Canada was dead. The airport was really quiet. The States, no. It was busy. People were trying to sit apart, but there was literally one seat or two seats between um, different groups. And then one group would get up and go and another would come. You know, and yeah. no, one, you know, no one was wiping those surfaces down. People were lining up really quite close together. You know, like um, they weren't socially distancing as they were getting on the plane, things like that. Now, here's what's interesting. Our plane from... San Francisco to Sydney only had 38 people on board. There were 17 people in economy. So I don't know when those people booked the tickets or how they got them, but business class and first class was full, pretty well full. There was a couple of empty seats, but mostly full. And then the plane before us, they were saying there was only eight seats filled in their economy class. So to get an economy class ticket is incredibly difficult. Um, there's, there's, a number of news stories right now about Australians stranded without jobs, without homes um, in different countries, and they've been stranded for months trying to get home and they can't afford the, the more expensive tickets. And, and then on top of that, Dave, quarantine, they're charging for quarantine now and it's uh, $5,000 for our family for these 14 days. 
Oh, la, la. So it's, it's a rich person's game to, to move. It, we really had to eat into our savings, but we have two children that have been out of school for six months. We didn't want to wait any longer. We didn't want to wait into October and then have our plane cancelled again, and then we'd be looking into the new year living in someone's basement or without work, without uh, um, cash flow. Like we, we thought that that was a safer, more conservative option to actually outlay all that money because we wanted to get started with the rest of our lives. It's interesting to hear firsthand the economic impact of travel becoming more uh, expensive and exclusive. Yeah. So you get off the plane and then what, do they put you in a bus or a taxi and you go right to your hotel? No, they're pretty awesome. They kept us a good, they, they do only do a meter and a half here, but they, we, we kind of kept our two meters apart. We lined up. We had to wait quite a time because the first thing that happens when you get off the plane is that you're screened by New South Wales Health, so the health department for this state, and we were temperature checked. They asked us about symptoms. You could tell that they were looking at us closely for signs of symptoms. And then um, they got us through um, customs and immigration. And the military took our bags and put us on a bus. We didn't know what hotel we were going to. There was a police escort on a motorcycle. They took us somewhere. We got off. We read the sign. Oh, we're at this particular hotel. And then we went in. And we gave them our passports and our information. And then the military took our bags up to our room. Police uh, checked us in and then they walked us up. And uh, it hasn't been bad. They were incredibly nice and kind people. Um, very welcoming, actually. And they give us three meals a day. You can't change them or swap them out. Or uh, We're allowed to order in, but so we we're able to order groceries in or there's Uber Eats and things like that. But again... You have to pay delivery fee. We just brought McDonald's for breakfast and that was $50, you know. Oh, wow. And um, uh, the meals aren't particularly big. We need to supplement them. Um, Two growing so, kids. Yeah, yeah. So it, um, if it had been pre-pandemic, we would have saved tens of thousands of dollars. Holy guacamole. Um, yeah. So when you got to the airport in Australia, did it seem more like the States or more like Canada? Because you said there was a more big like difference between Canada and the US airports, what did you notice when you got to Australia? Everyone wear ma wore masks, everyone socially distanced, um, full PPE for people that were close to us. So the New South Wales Health, as they were assessing us. Um, yeah, it was a completely different experience. They're clearly treating um, COVID seriously and um, minimizing risks for, for employees. I must say, Dave, I will say this. We, we flew, um, I think I'm allowed to say the brand of the airline, United Airlines, and the air hostesses and the staff were excellent with keeping distance and wearing protective equipment. And we felt the planes were really clean. We felt like, and they provide us, provided us with wipes and things. And um, yeah. Even and what was that airline again? Uh, United Airways. And uh, if anybody from United Air, Air, Airways would like to call us, we are uh, going to be getting some, getting some sponsorship, hopefully. So United <laughs> Airlines, give us a call. We're hearing really good things. We'd love to, we'd love to work with you in the pandemic. <laughs> they deserve it. They were awesome. That's good to hear. I, I can't get my mind around traveling 
during the pandemic. So hearing from you that there's differences in different countries' approaches to addressing the pandemic is is interesting. And it's good to hear that Australia and Canada, you felt safe and you felt like people were trying to take all the necessary precautions to save lives and to, pre to prevent illness. Because one of the yeah. things I'm starting to wonder about, like we're in the still the early days of this pandemic. I think we've been into it enough, enough, enough months now that we can adapt and be flexible and and do more human interaction safely because the PPE deficits have been overcome. Our yeah. understanding about hand washing and physical distancing is more robust. Um, so it, it's interesting to see those parallels between Canada and Australia. It's a little disheartening to hear that in your stop in the middle, it was a different kind of a culture. But what has the pandemic been politicized in Australia that you that you're aware of yet or yeah, it's interesting, David. One thing that I really notice is that the states have um, uh, a lot of them have locked their borders and and they're not allowing people to travel interstate between each state. So uh, Victoria is certainly under lockdown. Queensland and New South Wales border is shut. And uh, funny enough, there's that, that we have an impact of that. We're just trying to get short-term accommodation and we're struggling because um, a lot of people are booking up for their school holiday week. They just need to get out of the house and they've had a spike in, in rental accommodation uh, for school holidays this this um, next school break in, in New South Wales. But the borders being shut are quite controversial. It's on the news, but they're trying to limit the spread of COVID. Um, and, but that there's implications for, for business, for trade, for travel, it's to see loved ones. For an example, Dave, my yeah. mum lives in Melbourne and our original plan was to go to land in Melbourne, Victoria and, and see my mum. That was our first priority. And actually, Dave, to have our dog arrive. Now, this is a whole nother pandemic issue that we've been facing that's costing us a lot of money and, and a lot of heartbreak. We could not bring our dog with us. Our dog oh, was going boy. to fly and our dog needed to fly directly to Melbourne to go in her own quarantine, an animal quarantine. And um, they've completely shut international planes and not allowed to go into that state, Victoria, into Melbourne at all. So we couldn't fly down to see my mom and my dog is not able to go to the only quarantine station in Australia. So um, we're not sure when that will open again. So our friends in British Columbia are looking after our dog for the next, we think about six months, we hope. And then they'll eventually put her on a plane when direct flights open up again and fly her to Melbourne. She'll have to do a quarantine and we'll pick her up there. But um, I can't actually see my mum right now. My mum's at home by herself. She's allowed to, the rules are that she can go out for about an hour a day to exercise, only go to the shops if she has to. And then there's a, um, a curfew. They're not meant to go out after 8 p.m. at night and she's not meant to go further than five kilometers from her home. So she's, she's been talking to us each day, but obviously it's tough to not be able to see her or not know when we will be able to see her and when we will be able to see our dog again as well. I don't know if it's ironic or what it is, but you moved all that way to be closer to a loved one, get the grandkids in her life, and then you get there and you're not able to see, not able to see her because of the pandemic. It's just, it's, it's so layered and complicated like an onion the pandemic yeah. the pandemic onion 
it certainly is and, and my like clearly travel is only for essential it's so expensive and so difficult and there's so many roadblocks i wouldn't recommend it only if you absolutely have to uh, what about you and your family the kids are are you in the hotel room 24 7 for 14 days or do you get yeah. some time in the yard like in a prison where you get to go out and Walk around we the yard. We have a little balcony. We have a balcony. We're lucky. Families uh, are, are being put in apartments. So there's actually two bedrooms. We cannot complain. And there is a balcony. So we're able to access fresh air. If we do, if we do laps, we get dizzy. But if you go up and down or do little exercises, it's okay. So we're more fortunate if you're single or just a couple, you'll be put in a hotel room and you likely won't have fresh air for those 14 days. So that's been an absolute blessing. We're so enjoying this, the warmth of the sunshine, it being winter here, and being able to uh, sit outside and hear the beautiful Australian birds and, uh, you know, and just get a bit of fresh air and a bit of sunlight on our skin. So you're in day 10 of a hotel lockdown as you reintegrate into Australian society. And it's, yeah. it's, unfortunately, our, our listeners can't hear, but it looks like you're smiling. So the family's doing well and you're getting closer. Oh, not really. We had no. to wait. Um, uh, the COVID test today, my, my two kids were so nervous because the first one hurt. It actually, well, it was very uncomfortable. And, and we actually felt the tingle of it for three days in our sinuses. The, the, the nurse we felt was quite rough. So they were... They knew the COVID test was today and they said any time between nine and five. Well, no nurse turned up by 5 p.m. We were waiting on the edge of our seats all day, nervous, worried, and they'd run out of swabs. So they didn't come until 6.30 at night. So there was a supply chain issue. They ran out of cotton swabs. You, the two kids, your husband, you had to get the test where they stick it up your nose and I've talked to people who work in um, the seniors industry and they have to get them every week. I've been told that it is quite uncomfortable and it helps if you don't look at it when they're shoving it up and twisting oh. it around. Yeah. Well, we've had two tests now and I would say that it makes a great difference when they're, when they're gentle as well. But with, in Australia, they actually do the mouth swab, then they do both nostrils. And so the what second one's they, bad because you know what's coming. They cotton swab your mouth? Yes, and the back then they, of the throat. Okay, and then each nostril gets a gets swabbed. Yeah, a good three or four second swirl in each nostril. So it's a, and they were yeah they were telling us it's still only eighty percent um, accurate for this test. So we're really got our fingers and toes crossed because if we do get a positive, they move us to a, another site, and I believe we're under closer surveillance with doctors mm -hmm. and nurses. Um, and I'm not sure how long that would extend our quarantine. So we're still waiting nervously. We'll, it'll take two days to get our results back. Well, my eyes are crossed for you. I hope everybody comes back <laughs> negative. Normally, I'm cheering for people to pass the test, but this time I want you to, I'm hoping you and the family fail the test. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. four days from kids, now. The kids are struggling, Dave. Let's be honest. Day nine, they were bickering. They're, they're, they're going a bit stir-crazy. You know, they're not enjoying the, all of the meals. Like, it's not perfect, but but um, there's an end in sight. And um, it, we're, we're trying to see it as an adventure. So, four days from now, tests are all negative. Your husband, the kids, and you get in a cab with your PPE on. Where are you going? 
we're going to a, a beautiful friend's house. A friend's helping us out and then we're going to go car shopping and we're, then we're going to pack all our gear up in the next week and drive 10 hours north and begin life. And you've decided where you're going to resettle the family? Yeah, yeah. It's where, where, I grew, where I went to high school and I grew up on the north coast of New South Wales. It, it's absolutely beautiful subtropical coastal location so we're hoping that the climate is a little gentler for us and we have that outside coastal sort of lifestyle. I've never been to Australia after the pandemic subsides I plan to do some extensive traveling if I'm able. If you look out your window do you see a koala bear or a kangaroo? No, you don't. Not in Sydney, particularly. But um, no, it depends what part of Australia you're from. Um, the magpies are out. The, there's a lot of bird life, even in Sydney. I hear that the snakes are getting active in spring. You've got to be careful of those. But um, yeah, it doesn't take much to get into natural areas in Australia. Oh, that's exciting. And what if, have you heard any impact of the pandemic on nature in Australia? Oh, it's funny. I just, I was just reading a news article that there's a lot more snakes being caught right now because people are at home more, are gardening more and are noticing that there's snakes and they've um, needed snake catchers more than ever because they get coming out for spring here and um, they've had an influx of calls for uh, a variety of dangerous snakes. Dangerous snakes. Oh, yeah, like deadly snakes, tiger snakes, brown snakes, things that will kill you quite quickly. Yeah, so people want them out of their areas, out of their um, little backyards and things. And that's in um, suburban and city areas as well. As we peel back the onion of the pandemic, it's fascinating what we uncover. That's, That's interesting around dangerous snake removal being more of a hot ticket item as people are spending more time on their own properties and the suburban deadly snake issue in Australia is coming more to the light. And what about forest fires? Is there any of that stuff going on? I know last year, forest fires in Australia was a big topic of concern. Oh, it's funny the the air quality isn't brilliant right now because they're doing a ton of backburning in preparation for bushfire season in hopes that they, that they can um, control fires and, and, and help minimize the chance of bushfires spreading. Um, there's been a lot of talk on the news uh, about detailed plans on how to prevent the devastating fires that occurred last summer here. It's interesting that with this pandemic, this global pandemic associated with COVID-19, we still have all the other trials and tribulations of life. And I wonder what's, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen with cold and flu season and with going back to school and all those types of things here in Ontario. What, what's this, the back to school plan in Australia, assuming that they're going to be opening up their schools? How flexible has the government been there in reducing class sizes and taking the necessary precautions to ensure the safety of, our mo- of one of our most prized uh, segments of the population, the children? Yeah. In the state that I'm in right now, all children are at school. I think that there was 10 cases today, 10 new COVID cases in New South Wales. So the numbers are are relatively low. So all children are back to school. I was talking to my my girlfriend, who's a teacher, uh, Ingrid, who we're going to stay with. And she was saying that they're not allowing more than one class to gather at a time. 
and that they're requiring social distancing outside if there is any gathering. Um, so they're increasing their hand washing, they're increasing their cleaning, they're limiting groups of people uh, to help stop the spread. Um, but the numbers are looking good right now, Dave, um, for New South Wales. So I would feel comfortable with my children going back to school. They will be going back to school, yeah. Did they reduce the class sizes? I know that in the hot spots, they have been successful with keeping school and childcare open for first line, first responders and medical professionals. But it's been with about a ratio of one to one to seven, one to 10. I know in Ontario, they're going to be opening up the elementary field with with yeah. ratios of one to 20, one to 30. Have they done any yeah. class size alteration? Not that I know of. In Victoria, they've actually shut down a lot of the schools because the outbreak's more severe in, in our southern states. Um, so I know that children haven't been in at school at all in certain parts of Victoria um, because the numbers are too high. Um, in New South Wales, I don't believe they're limiting class sizes right now. But, but the, their numbers don't really warrant it. But however, Ontario's yeah. numbers warrant more action, don't, doesn't it? I think we have to be flexible. I, I, I think schools need to be open. We need to be flexible. And it sounds like in Australia, they're doing that where there's hotspots, they close down. Where there's no mm -hmm. virus activity, they open up. I think it's important we take a regional approach because each region has a different set of yeah. circumstances. Yeah, I... When there, when there is one uh, case in a school, they're very good at contract tracing and they, they go in with deep cleaners um, and they really um, do a thorough job of, of, of limiting the spread. Um, my mum has an app. They have an app here and she likes that because it tells her if she's been in contact with anyone. Um, it gives her a, a green, uh, an orange or a red rating. Uh, depending on her contact with other people in the community and it's all geolocated from her phone. So that gives her some, some, uh, a bit more confidence. Peace of mind. What, uh, of what mind. was the buy-in to that app? Cause I think something similar was launched here in Ontario, Canada. I have an iPhone mm -hmm. six or seven that was given to me by someone as they, when they upgraded, I tried to install the app here in Canada, but my phone's too old. So I couldn't. So yeah. I I wonder how successful are these apps going to be if not every if if it's if there's barriers to participation, and are there those types of challenges with the app in Australia or was it designed to be a little it's bit more inclusive? I know people definitely have privacy concerns with these apps as well, but I know that in the first, I believe in the first few weeks, my mum was telling me that there was at least four million downloads, which is quite significant i'm not sure of the uptake now but um there was a big push a big um advertising and education uh push to try to get people to to download the app and use it i would love to participate with the app i, yeah. I just been excluded now i don't i wonder and i don't know if apple wants to be a advertiser here on the pandemic show um but I know there are some issues with built-in obsolescence on Apple products where they slow down the older they get as a strategy to get consumers to buy newer products. So I wonder if there's something maybe Apple could do to help me. So Apple, if you're listening, hit me up. I, I need some help getting the, the COVID app in Ontario on my phone. Thanks so much. It could make, it would be a life-changing difference. Yeah, go Dave. 
the more people the more people we can get on board the the better and it's just fascinating talking to you and hearing your family's experience moving how the cost of moving and travel has become prohibitive for many people there's differences to approach of addressing covid between countries canada and australia seem to be on very similar pages in working towards getting collective action of hand washing physical distancing and mask wearing well have you seen any anything interesting with the mask i know here in southern ontario i'm starting to see people with clear kind of plastic lower face face shields so people can see each other's mouths i've seen yeah. a lot of cloth handmade masks and then disposable ones at times i'm seeing some that really have a, a, a fashion aspect and that have an aesthetic that looks like people are getting more into you know fashion on their face have yes. uh, you might not have had an opportunity to see any of that since you you're on day 10 of oh, your lockdown there was every uh, the Canadians definitely had the more medical grade masks the, in the States. It was quite funny. We, we, we were calling it the bush ranger look or the robbery look, you know, um, with the, just the, um, the, the bandanas. tube of, of fabric, the bandanas coming yeah. up over the face. And we even saw someone go into a bank with the, the, that look. And we were giggling <laughs> to ourselves going, Oh, their security must be having to make changes with all these face coverings. It really did look like a old fashioned bank robber, but we haven't yet been into the Australian community to know. All we've seen is medical grade masks on, on workers that have dealt with us. Now, moving forward into the pandemic, I hope you might be interested in helping us understand the Australian situation a little bit more. We'd love to be able to check back in with you as the pandemic runs its course. Yeah. Is that something you'd be open to? Oh, most definitely, Dave. You know what's interesting and what we're really struggling with right now is property prices. We don't know what's ahead, whether there's going to be an economic downturn. People are talking recession, depression. We don't know whether to buy now or to rent for six months and, and see what the market does. You know, there's a lot of global and economic uncertainty right now. So, you know, that, that, that's creating issues for us on, on how to move forward, how to be prudent and make the most of our, what money we have left and to try to set up life. So I'd love to chat with you because the impact of the pandemic on, on our family certainly isn't over yet. That is a very astute about the land value and economics around housing. The bubble, the housing bubble seems to be increasing here in Waterloo Region. Um, and things yeah. are selling for even more than before the pandemic, which to me was counterintuitive. I thought housing prices might come down with, you know, unemployment and whatnot, but it seems that they're being sold for higher prices than ever before in Southern Ontario. And yeah. I, I, if they, they were expensive before the pandemic and now they've gone up another hundred thousand or more on houses and the real estate market's really opened up now. There's more houses for sale and they seem to be selling in under a week. Yeah. And I feel like that's unsustainable. I just read an article from um, the Reserve Bank of Australia and they're really concerned about housing prices and feel like they may dip as much as 40%, which is so significant and could really impact many people. I think the downturn's coming in Ontario. It's cooling off now. Dave, but it will be interesting to see the, the months ahead of the job market and the housing market, because that's certainly going to impact us. 
Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us today on the Pandemic Show and shining some light on, on what it would be like to move from Southern Ontario to Australia. Thank you so much. And I hope you and your family are well during the pandemic and find a nice place to live. And special thanks to your friend that's putting you and your family up. Thanks so much for helping these Canadians in Australia. Happy to help your fantastic pandemic podcast, Dave, anytime. Thanks so much. Be safe and enjoy the pandemic. Thanks, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's story from the pandemic. We're all in this together, and we're glad you're here together with us. Physically distance with us at pandemishow.ca. Be a part of our community by rating, subscribing, and sharing the pandemic show. Thanks for taking a minute to email an episode, share a link, or promote us on social media. Stories from the pandemic for the people of the pandemic.